Hello, everybody, and welcome to our monthly podcast, this one called Glass Half Full or Half Empty. It's the 15th of May. My name is James Duckworth, and I'm joined today by Alex Byrne in London and Thomas Vogel in Hong Kong. High interest rates have been curbing the demand for credit, and that was before the sell-off U.S. regional banks. There remains a problem of stubbornly high core inflation in the U.S. and the addition of a political dimension in the form of a debt ceiling standoff. The result has been the steepest yield curve inversion in three decades. Alex, with few exceptions, markets have spent the past month moving in a relatively narrow range. There seen quite a few headwinds, but more positively, investors expect a U.S. debt ceiling extension to be agreed before a government default. Glass half full or half empty? Morning, James. Thank you. On the debt ceiling, the base case, I believe, is always for collaboration because the alternative is absolute economic Armageddon. The market never really considers this a realistic outcome. But as it continues to remain unresolved, there are some real impacts on an ever-growing number of government actors. On the positive side of the market, it continues to look like we're coming to the end of the rate hiking cycle at the very least, and inflation is beginning to move downwards. Depending on what happens with inflation and a potential recession, a rate cut for a year end is not entirely off the cards. But on the negative side, we do have sticky elements within that inflation, which it will be more difficult to reduce. Although inflation is coming down, it's likely that going forward, we may have some higher structural inflation, firstly because of the long-term transition that needs to happen in energy and in the reversal of some globalization elements. Then, especially in the US, the tight labor market, we can see in the underlying inflation numbers also that the component parts have broadened substantially. This will lead to structural inflation that was more difficult to shift downwards. What does that mean for markets as we head into the summer then? We remain in a range trading market at the moment as we balance that end of the tightening cycle and coming out the other side. This is especially true as we move into the summer and trading volumes drop. As we said, it's likely the debt ceiling will be resolved, but there are many issues and increases in volatility that may present themselves before we get to that point. We have seen some data points improve widely across the economy. The consumer looks relatively comfortable now, but the pressure only increases on them as more credit and interest rate-related items become due. How your spending changes before and after your mortgage increases will have an enormous impact on some of the population, for instance. We've also had some pretty good earnings so far, but the market remains unmoved, with much of the reaction looking to already have happened prior. Thanks, Alex. Thomas, can you give us the Asian perspective on markets? China reopening story was a positive catalyst earlier this year, and regional funding flows have been strong. More recent data, however, has been more mixed. Hi, James. Yeah, if I may start with valuation, Asian equities are trading at reasonable valuations at the moment. Based on the 12 months forward PE, they are trading more or less in line with Europe, but at an almost 30% discount versus the US. While part of it could be justified through the higher risk premium involved in Asian markets, valuation definitely is no headwind for Asian equities. Uh, Looking at China, the reopening story was indeed a strong positive catalyst for the equity markets after a strong rebound from end of October last year till end of January this year, the recovery of the economy stalled. On the one hand, we saw strong tourism recovery during the Labor Day holiday, expanding service sectors, PMIs, and stronger-than-expected export sector performance. On the other hand, the April manufacturing PMIs moved into contraction, and recent import and credit growth numbers surprised to the downside. Despite the recent rather mixed macro data out of China, Asian markets, in contrast to US and Europe, have lower inflation expectations, and especially China remains focused on promoting economic growth. Thomas, can I ask you about your views on India? Notice that strong recent performance on an absolute and relative basis. What's been driving that? 
Sure. While India outperformed both developed and emerging markets indices in the last two years, India was the weakest performer in Asia in Q1 2023 due to a combination of domestic and global factors. While the market is still one of the most expensive in the region, both relative to other countries and to his own history, the market rebounded in recent weeks and outperformed again both MSCI World and MSCI Emerging Markets. Potential reasons for that strong performance are a less hawkish Reserve Bank of India, improving margins and earnings growth, still expensive but relatively reasonable valuations and positive sentiment towards the domestic tech sector. Also, India as a commodity importer is a beneficiary of the currently lower commodity prices. Many thanks, Thomas. Alex, you follow Japan closely, and this is the market that's also been forming strongly. Can you give us some insight there? Indeed, Japan was later to reopen than other developed markets, meaning their consumers rebounded later. And we're only just starting to see the embers of foreign investors moving back to Japan also. Additionally, given their economic makeup and geography, the reopening of China has an outsized impact on Japanese companies. The final point is the disparity in position of the Japanese central bank and the others. For this reason and others, the Japanese yen continues to be structurally weak. This is a significant tailwind for an exporting economy like Japan. Another thing which continues to grow is around corporate governance, a new directive, however, has the potential to have a significant impact. It targets and punishes companies which do not have a focus on increasing shareholder value and have outsized levels of cash on balance sheet, a structural issue in Japanese companies. Despite the differences in stances of the Bank of Japan and, say, the ECB or Fed, because of the clearly different positions on inflation, there is clearly an acceptance that policy needs to change at some point. Two key things need to move. Firstly, and obviously, the interest rate. However, the BOJ is going to be very cautious to not stifle the inflation it's been so stubborn to try and get to in the first place. And secondly, because Japan is so hugely indebted and its own balance sheet wouldn't be able to cope with a significant increase in interest rates. Secondly, the yield curve control needs to be loosened. This is the support the bank has given to artificially keep the 10-year bond yield lower. We believe this is more likely to change this year with a new and outsider BOJ governor now in place. Thanks, Alex. Can I also ask you about the implications of the US regional banking crisis? Assuming this has a slowing effect on credit growth, it's going to be negative for the domestic economy. Do you think that's likely to spread across the Atlantic? European banks are strongly capitalised, but that didn't stop the original contagion sell-off. I mean, the ECB has indicated that further rate rises will be necessary despite weak GDP. Do you think that's going to continue to dampen sentiment? In Europe, we are seeing inflation reduce across most of the countries. But as we mentioned previously, there are some structural long-term trends that need to be accounted for. In Europe, we've seen stronger performance in assets related to value sectors like energy, materials and mining over the last 18 months. And earnings, conversely, this year will be difficult. Now we're looking for signs that there are some recoveries in the consumer parts of cyclicals, but typically this needs some growth or at least a bottoming in GDP expectations. Conscious that we're entering a period of low to no growth and following their underperformance last year, we could also see a point of good performance for some growth names. Outside of this, we still have a preference for names with an element of defensiveness or quality. In a range trading environment, one of the key risks that you could foresee is a significant outside event, which drastically alters the course. This is something we're very conscious of. Many thanks, Alex. Thomas, we've avoided any mention of the word recession so far, so I felt I had to bring it up. Ultimately, does it matter for Asian markets if there is a mild recession in the US? 
Sure. So after the recent data, markets are pricing in a U.S. rate hack pause together with rate cuts before the end of the year. While it has been the case for a while that monetary conditions have been different between many Asian countries versus U.S. or Europe, a recession in the biggest economy in the world will, of course, have some impact on Asian markets. The implications will be different depending on the economic scenarios in U.S. and China. In scenario one of U.S. hard lending, any tailwinds from, for example, a stronger Chinese recovery would be more than offset by the headwinds from a U.S. recession, and it should be negative for the region as a whole. In a scenario of a Fed pause and no or very mild recession in the U.S. together with moderate Chinese recovery, this should benefit more domestically oriented markets in Asia. For example, India or Indonesia should see more resilience in that case. Economies more tied to global growth like Korea or Taiwan could suffer more. Although it has to be mentioned that earnings estimates for export-driven economies such as Korea and Taiwan are still being revised downwards, which means some form of a recession in the U.S. is priced in already. In the third scenario of a U.S. soft landing and a strong Chinese recovery, this should be the most positive scenario for Asian markets. The U.S. dollar would further weaken in anticipation of rate cuts, and in combination with a strong China recovery, this would favor both Asia and broader EM markets. Many thanks, Thomas. Alex, just to wrap up, any significant adjustments to our tactical asset allocation? Of course, yeah. We remain neutral equities and neutral on fixed income, but downgrading EM and Asian equities back to neutral. We've seen recovery from some of the lows of March, and we've potentially entered a balanced portion of the market where tightening is beginning to show in the economy. But numbers are, and earnings are robust, uh, for now at least. Moving back to neutral in EM Asia after some performance at times, there are political concerns and prospects elsewhere are improving. In fixed income, we expect yields to remain range-bound outside of any shock or change in direction of inflation. We stay moderate overweight in IG Credit and EMD, where the spreads and yields remain relatively attractive. Alex and Thomas. Thank you both very much. Thank you, Thank James. You.